0: Good morning. As always, great to see everyone here today. We're going to jump in this morning. It's hard to believe, hard to fathom that this week you'll be reading week 50 of our 51-week series, Journey Through the New Testament, right? Uh, So if you're just now jumping in, uh, it'd be tough to play catch up at this point. I'm just going to be real with you, right? Uh, But for everyone else, that's where you are. You'll be reading chapters 13 through 18. And that's where I'm fairly well going to camp today, but go ahead and, and jump ahead a little bit also uh, kind of coming off the tail end of our that last song that we sang together when we all get to heaven, uh, I have some great news for everyone here today. You ready? The title of my message is "Everyone Will Go to Heaven." Everyone goes to heaven. Now, before you think I've turned to Unitarianism or something along that line with my theology, uh, let me share some bad news as well. The subtitle of my message is "Not Everyone Will Stay." Not everyone will stay. Oh, everyone will go. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But not all will stay. You know, as I began, even before this year began, in preparation Last year for this series, this extended series that we did throughout this year, I said repeatedly, hey, just remember when we get to December, I'm going to be in Revelation, right? I've been laying that groundwork. I've said it repeatedly throughout this year and almost feeling bad and almost apologetic because I know when we get to this time of year, everybody's looking for, man, those manger, the the, the Advent series, you know, those great Christmas sermons and, We so look forward to that. And I almost felt guilty as your pastor knowing that we would be in Revelation. But you know, as we've come to this place, I think I've gained a greater appreciation for it. Because I think too often we get to Christmas time and that's all we think is that precious little manger. But we forget that, yes, Jesus came in a manger to save. But what we're reminded through this study is, folks, He is coming again in the clouds. (laughs) And when he returns, he is returning to judge. Yes, he came as that precious little Savior in that manger. But he lived a perfect life. And he went to that cross. And he was laid in that grave. And he rose again on the third day. So ultimately, he could come again in the clouds with a purpose to judge. To judge man and to ultimately and finally judge sin. Now, I know as I share that, that seems like such just a, an anti-Christmas statement, doesn't it? I mean, come on, preacher. It's December. Corey just said we're two weeks before Christmas. Here you are talking about, about judgment and end times. Not everyone gets to stay in heaven. I don't, this, is, this is the time of year, right, uh, where everything we hear and see has a happy ending for everyone, doesn't it? I mean, every show on TV, every movie, that's the way that they all end. Everyone gets exactly what they wanted. You, Every Hallmark movie, every Christmas got saved. Every girl got her ring, right? Ain't nobody left at the altar on the Hallmark series during Christmas time, right? I mean, everybody has that, that perfect happy ending. Rudolph leads his sleigh, don't he? Right? Uh, 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 Ralphie gets his Red Ryder BB gun in the end. Right? He gets exactly what he wanted. Hermie becomes a dentist. Gr- you'll have to do some study to remember that one, right? Hermie becomes a dentist. Grinch gets his heart. Right, We go on. Tiny Tim gets his medicine. Uh, let, let's go back a little bit further. George Bailey right, gets a second chance on life. In the greatest Christmas movie, both Emmett and Ma Otter get jobs in the end. If you've not seen it, shame on you. Let's come on back in a little bit. Uh, Buddy gets his family, and Clark, in the end, gets his Christmas bonus. Can I get an amen? Right? It, it, that, but that, that's Christmas, isn't it? Like, everything's got to have this, this happy ending. Everybody gets exactly what they want. And I think we forget what Jesus said in, in, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. He said this, don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And we've looked at that, that, that passage in the past. You think, wait a minute, didn't the angel say peace? Yes, peace came in Christ. But what Christ was telling us is, please understand this, that with my advent, with my coming, I would also come as a sword. A sword divides and cuts. He went on in that passage to say, listen, I am going to divide husband against wife. Child against parent. I will divide families. I, I will divide homes and communities. I will even divide nations by my coming. Yes, we sing silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. It may be in that moment in that specific place it was. Certainly it was. But yet within two years there would be an edict from Herod to murder every male child in an entire region age two and under. See, the advent of Christ, Him coming as Messiah, yes, He came. And because He came, now man must choose, receive His grace and the gift of God of salvation or reject it. And so that, that's where we find ourselves today, and that's kind of the, 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 the groundwork, I guess, I want to lay. Last week, as we began our study in Revelation, I, I shared uh, the different interpretive processes that, that, that people go through as they read and study and interpret Revelation. And if you weren't here with us last week, you can look online, and the, uh, the notes are available also on our church app. I'm not going to go back there and go over that again, but, but I want to just continue to lay a little more groundwork for people because I know as we get into this study in Revelation, there are so many questions and, and so much information out there in different camps, if you will. And so I just want to kind of continue that because over the past two weeks, if you've been staying with your reading plan, uh, you've read about the tribulation period. That will come. Also, there's this, this seven-year period of tribulation or uh, judgment and trials. Now, at some point during that, tribula- during that time, Jesus will return. And when he returns, he will rapture or carry up, if you will, his church or believers. And We, we studied that back when we were in, in 1 Thessalonians, that, that that time will come. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'll read it again beginning in verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed. Some manuscripts say uh, ignorant, right? Uh, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep. And he's talking about those who are dead, who have passed. So that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, though Jesus, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. This was something that was given to Paul. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ. They will rise first. Verse 17. Then we who are still alive, who are left at that time, we will be caught up together. That word for caught up is where we get our word rapture. We will be caught up with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always, believers, be with the Lord. Now, whether you believe that time, that that, that rapture comes before, during, or or, or after the time of tribulation, that determines what is known as your tribulation view, if you will. And just like I said with our interpretation of processes, there there are three primary tribulation views. You have your your pre-trib, pre-tribulation, your mid-tribulation, or your post-tribulation. And that simply means when you think that time will come, either before, during, or after the tribulation, right? The tribulation then precedes the thousand year or the millennium that you'll be reading about as well so then you have christ's second coming his second return to the earth and much like the rapture there are also varying opinions uh, on the millennium you're going to read this specifically when you uh, in two weeks when you're in chapters 19 and 20 i want to lay that groundwork now for your reading and the, and the three primary views, though you have some, some variants of this as well, but you have your amillennial, which just simply means no millennium, right? That the thousand years is symbolic, right? And also believes that we then uh, are, re- that time is represented in the current age of the church. You have your p- post-millennial view, which just says Christ will return following that thousand year period or following the world being Christianized during that thousand years. And then you have your premillennial view, which just simply says that Christ will return to earth. And as he returns, it's then that he will set up his kingdom for a period of 1,000 years that it precedes then the millennium. Now, I know that's a lot of information. to Some of you, you, you want me to just camp there. And I don't have the time to do that today. But I do want to speak in that. that as simple as it is, is when you think each event takes place. But what I find is that people often, they vacillate on this. And here's what I mean. Man, when you're, when you're, when you're a new believer and uh, especially maybe you're reading Revelation for the first time or just studying end times eschatology and you're fascinated by it, and you pick that person who you trust. Hey, this is someone that I, I really I identify with and align with in my, my study and my theology. And, and so whatever they said, well, that must be true, and you align yourselves, well, then that's what I am. Uh, if they're a premillennial dispensationalist, then so am I right or or post or you know whatever that is and then what happens as you grow in your faith as you study and as you learn more and as you dive deeper into into God's word often people will find themselves you know I still agree with that person I still love that person but as I study the end times I don't know that I agree specifically with this And, and, and so often people will kind of change their viewpoints and can I say this that's okay all right? It's okay. In fact, we're not really going to know the absolute truth until the day that we stand before the Lord, right? And can I tell you something? Then it won't matter, right? So believe what you want, study all you can. But as we enter into Revelation, remember I said there's going to be some times where we have different opinions, a differing of views as we look through this. But where we as believers and as a church must come to absolute agreement is this that it is Jesus Christ who is center stage. As you read Revelation, there's some cool stuff happening. There's some fascinating things. There's some things that John can't describe and we can't even fathom today on earth, right? But it's all about the fact that Jesus came. He came in that manger and he is coming again. And don't be distracted by everything else if it begins to take away uh, your, your, your vision seeing that it is Jesus who is at the center of all of Revelation. In fact, you've seen the number 144,000 pop up a couple times in your reading. You're going to see it specifically this week in chapter 14. And people get all wrapped up and bent up about this. Man, there are entire books dedicated to the study of this number, too. What does that represent? You always want to say that, hey, there's only 144,000 people saved uh, for, for all times, right? Or in uh, all these different beliefs that know it's this special salvation for some. Can I tell you something? Don't get wrapped up in that. The question is not how few or, or how many will be saved. When the question is, are you saved? Are you going to have... None of that stuff matters. Are you one of the saved? Some would say, are you one of the elect chosen by God? Are you saved? Jesus said in John 3.16, the verse we like to quote more than anything else is, is even, uh, evangelicals. It's simply this, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes, whoever believes, will not perish, but have eternal life. And I love that because Jesus reminded us that that He came in His name. The the reason we celebrate Christmas is for, for God's gift to us, but He came with a purpose and an agenda, and it was this, whoever... Not 144,000, not this certain group, not this tribe, but whoever. Friends, I'm going to tell you in Scripture, when Jesus said whoever, do you know what that word means? Whoever. Whoever believes, whoever receives and understands the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will be saved. Which means there's hope for everyone, even today. I so appreciate he continues in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but what, church? To save the world through him. God gave his most precious, God gave his one and only son, Nothing in all of the Trinity of the Godhead more special to him than Jesus Christ. And he gave him as a gift to us. Why? Because we see God's heart that he wants everyone to be saved. And so, with that understanding, let's jump in this morning. Revelation chapter 14. We're going to look at three verses, verses 6 through 8 to begin. It's in your app this morning, or you can turn your Bibles easy to find. Go to the very end of your Bible and just not too many pages to get there. Revelation chapter 14, beginning verse 6. John writes this, then I saw another angel flying overhead with the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He spoke with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And another, a second angel, followed saying, It has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She made all the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. Now, I want to stop there and read this morning. First of all, we we see where John introduces us. He he has this vision, and in this vision, here is this, this angel and this first angel that we see is proclaiming the gospel. You know, the, the, the Greek word there for, for angel, anglos, uh, just simply means messenger. And that's the primary role that you're going to see of angels through, uh, throughout both Old and New Testament is they are proclaiming God's truth, right? They, they, they are proclaiming, they are His messengers. And I know sometimes Christmas time we get kind of warped about uh, angels, Right? It's just, there's just too many cards out there that have this picture. And we see angels as those chubby little small wings, you know, uh, baby looking things that are just, you know, pre- precious moments, you know, if you go back to a Cabbage Patch doll looking thing, right? And we, that's kind of our view of what an angel is. But man, when you see angels show up in Scripture, it's anything but that, isn't it? I mean, people freak out. When the angel showed up to the tomb to roll away the stone, the best guards the Roman soldiers had to to, to place there, to guard, they passed out when they saw him. Couldn't handle it. Hey, remember Luke's gospel and the shepherds are out in the field, you know, and minding the sheep, and and an angel shows up with that proclamation. What happened to them? They freaked out, didn't they? Luke says that they didn't know what to. They were scared to death. And then it says a, a whole heavenly host, multiple angels joined in with them. And I love that if you look at the, the the 1500s translation by Tyndale, he says this, heavenly, he refers to them as the heavenly soldiers of God. The soldiers of God. The New Living Translation says that the, the angel was joined by the armies of heaven. I mean, that's what an angel is. An angel is a green beret, right? An angel is, is, is a soldier. An angel, man, they are a dude, right? Uh, they, they, they have a presence about them. And so forget about those little Christmas cards that you see with you know, little flappy wings and all that, right? These are soldiers, are these, right? And this first soldier, he is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this is preceding the millennium. And what I love about this is notice what it says. Every nation. Who's he reaching out to? Every nation, every tribe, in every language, to all the people. We see the, the heart of God even up, it says, to what? The very last hour. Up into the moment that that judgment comes, God is still sending his angels, still putting forth his gospel through the church that everyone would be saved. To the very moment we see the, the heart of God. And it says, that it refers to this now as the eternal gospel. Now, let me warn you of this. There are some people out there that say there, there are different gospels within the New Testament. There, there are variations and gospels that mean different things. Friends, can I tell you something? There is one gospel, and that gospel is of Jesus Christ, and it alone is eternal. Period. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ gives eternal life. What is that gospel? To, to understand that, that I am a sinner. That I, I make mistakes on a regular basis, right? Uh, I, I sin. I fall short of the glory of God, of the perfection of Jesus Christ. And because I'm a sinner, God had to send his son not only to be born in that manger, but to live a life, to, to, to be beaten to death and pierced and nailed to a cross so that he could be laid in that tomb and raised on the third day. Jesus endured that God allowed all of that why because we can't control ourselves because we're sinners But the gospel is that's the depth and the breadth of his love for us And so when you receive that gospel when you repent of your sins trust Jesus and him alone as your savior It is in that moment that you have eternal life I say it all the time you you don't die to get eternal life you receive it when you're saved Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, the good news of the kingdom, talking about the gospel, will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to every nation. And then the end will come. The heart of God that, that, that He has now in called us and empowered us and equipped us through the Holy Spirit for us to be the, the, the messengers, to go out into all the world. Because one day, that trump will sound. One day that time will come, and it will be the end. But until then, today and until that very last moment, God wants everyone. God desires that, that everyone will be saved. Remember in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he said this beginning in verse 3, God our Savior wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We celebrate Christmas because of how much God loves us. I I remind us all the time we say Jesus is the reason for the season, but the truth is, no, you are the reason. He came for you. He endured all of that for you. But then we get to verse 8. In verse 8, we're introduced to a second angel. Now, now the first angel, that soldier of God, was proclaiming the good news, the gospel, that everyone could repent and be saved. But this second one, what's he proclaiming? He's proclaiming judgment. Now, here's the thing. If everyone had responded to the first angel, there would be no second angel. But they didn't. Why? Because there has always been and there always will be a rejection to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because we see the heart of God, we see the Spirit of God that He desires everyone to be saved, we also see the will of man, and we know this, that not everyone will. In fact, most won't. And because of man's rejection, then there must be judgment. And in this judgment, He he uses Babylon here as this reference. In the Old Testament, it was Babylon who destroyed Jerusalem and the temple of God. Uh, We see, remember... As we've gone through the New Testament, I've pointed out at different times where the writers of the letters in the New Testament would use the word Babylon as a code name for Rome. Right, who, who was the oppressor of the church, who, who was an oppressor of the kingdom of God at that time. And so they would refer to Rome as Babylon because they did, if that letter got intercepted and they were speaking directly against Rome, they, they understood the, uh, the consequences of that. So they would use it as a code word. And, and here, the same thing, that idea of Babylon being the one who oppresses the kingdom of God. You may remember not too long ago, Saddam Hussein. made an effort to literally rebuild Babylon, right? But Babylon is used to refer to, 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 to anyone or any group who rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ, who in essence is an enemy of God, who desires and prefers the things, it says, of this world, which ultimately are the things of Satan over God. He says it's intoxicating mankind with, it, with its immorality that literally turns people to a point where they hate God. Last week, I said with God's prophecy, there are times when God's prophecy is true, both past, present, and future. Certainly, with this message, isn't that the truth? I mean, don't we see that? We see that in Old Testament. Uh, man rejecting the things of God, what for the things of this world. We certainly saw that in the New Testament, rejecting even his son, and we see that today, don't we? I mean, we are so bent, so intoxicated, if you will, by the things of this world, the, the desires. Man, that desire to acquire is why everyone has so much debt in this world today. Right? We, we, we have that now. We're so intoxicated by the things of this world. We, we, we desire them and we want them to the point where we literally worship the creation over the Creator. We will worship that thing over the one who provided it. It was true then and it's still true today. He continues on in verse thirteen of chapter fourteen. He says, Then I heard a, a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. So they will rest from their labors, since their work follows them. Now something interesting here now is said it. Blessed are those who die. Now, certainly he's speaking, I believe, about those who die specifically during that tribulation period. But it's also true for those who die in the Lord now and in anticipation of that time. You remember Paul wrote, what to, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Right? I mean, if, if to live is for the intoxicating things of this world, to, to have and acquire more stuff, then friend, when you die, you lose it all. I mean, it is yard sale fodder the next month, right? Everything that you live for. But if to live is Christ, to have a, a Christian worldview that you look at everything through the lens of Jesus Christ, man, to, if you say, man, God has blessed me with a spouse, and I have this blessing so that I can pour my life into them. I can undergird them so they can grow and flourish in the Lord. If God blesses me to, to, to have children, I have children not only to, to be a blessing to me, but, but I am a steward of those children, to teach them and to see them grow in the ways of the Lord and to go and, and serve. God. If I have that Christian worldview, seeing everything through Christ, and I realize, listen, I have a job, I have a career, I make this money, not just so that I can have stuff, but so I can give back to God, so I can give to the church for, for missions to see that the gospel continually is proclaimed that, that I can bless other people who are in need. When we have that, that Christian worldview, then if everything on this world and in life is all about pleasing Christ, then when we die, it only gets better. Now, we, we just hang out with him for eternity. Face to face with Jesus. If that is our worldview, then to live is Christ. It only gets better. God tells John to write this down. I love what it says. You notice it says the, the spirit then says, yes. There's like this interruption in it all. Now, the Holy Spirit here, remember, speaks out. and The Holy Spirit is given to believers. He is that, that deposit, that, that treasure in this clay pot that we talked about that, that is with us, that, that, that helps us in our sanctification, that we can live for the Lord, to have the, the power and the strength over sin and temptation in this world. But the ultimate goal then, the, the, the goal line, if you will, is heaven. And so when we get there, you hear this, yes, from the Holy Spirit, right? Touchdown, you know, view it that way. We're home, right? In essence, that's what he's saying. And he says, and says, in that moment that believers will, will rest. They'll rest in their labor and their work from the Lord, and they will rest eternally in their salvation. But the lost, the lost will be in torment for eternity. I want to close in Revelation chapter 20 and I know that's a week ahead of your week's reading but I want to get us there and it's that that final judgment John writes in Revelation 20 beginning in verse 11 then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them I also saw the dead the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was then thrown into the lake of fire. Now here, after the millennium, but before the new earth, John is given this picture. Now remember, John has this incredible task of describing for us today what was absolutely indescribable. And in doing so, I found just in my CSB, 68 different times in Revelation that John used the single sim- simile or uh, descriptor, if you will, like. Now, he used many others, but just that word like as a simile or a descriptor of something else, 68 times. When he saw Jesus in chapter 1, verse 14, he says, his eyes were like Fiery flames. I can't, and, and, uh, can you imagine? He, he's seeing the, the face of Jesus. He's, I, I can't tell you what it was like, but, man, if you can just imagine fire, that's what his eyes were like. In the next verse, he says, and his feet were like fine bronze. They weren't bronze, but, but, they, but they were like fine bronze. He, he continues in verse 16. He says, his face, and his face was shining like the sun. Now, what he's painting for us is, I can't tell you what his face looked like, but imagine, if you ever looked into the sun? And you can't even keep your eyes on it, but for just a moment, and when you, when you go away, even if you close your eyes, you still see that sun. He said, that was the face of Jesus. In chapter 14, 4 and verse 1, he said, it, talking about Jesus still, and he said, in his voice, his voice was speaking like a trumpet. Like a trumpet, right? Hey, got these guys up here, Right? Have you ever noticed, um, we mic some of the instruments. We don't mic a trumpet, right? Matter of fact, we put baffles that look like toilet ball plungers on the end of those trumpets sometimes, right? Why? Because they're so... I mean, they, they, they just push it out, right? Tearing my line here on my own track, okay? Right, we do everything we can. They're behind those walls right now because there's sound material back there just trying to catch some of that trumpet sound. And John says... That was his voice, man. It's like, it's like that trumpet. That trumpet goes over every. It don't matter. It don't matter what the violin or the flautist is doing up here, right? Trumpet. That's why we say trump. This trumps everything, right? The trumpet. It's over the top of everything. John said that. That was his his voice, man. It was like it was like a trumpet. I, I can't even explain it. In chapter f- f- four, just in verses six through seven, he said this: "So something like a sea, like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, before the throne." The the living creature that were around, one was like a lion. Another was like an ox, and another had a a face kind of like a man. And the fourth living creature was was like a flying eagle. And and he continues with these similes and these descriptors all through the book of Revelation. But did you notice in what we just read in, in chapter 20? He didn't see any of that, did he? In fact, he was given a clear vision. And he was able to express in clear words for us to have a clear meaning today. He said, listen, there's two books. There's a book of life and there's a book of record. There, there were two books that I saw. Christmas time, like we tell our kids, right? You got the naughty or nice list, right? And he said, that's what we had. We, we, two books, naughty and nice, right? You, 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 that was it. You had a book of life, the Lamb's book of life, and you had the, the book of record. There's an old term that, that used to be used a lot. They still throw it around a lot, but it doesn't have a lot of meaning. When you got in trouble, like if you were guilty of something and you got arrested, what'd they say about you? You got what? Booked. You ever heard that? You ever been? No. <laughs> right? Uh, but that's what they say, right? You got booked. Well, what are they referring to? Literally, your name would be written into an offender's book if you were found guilty. Right? You were written in This was before computers. Right? And that's what he said. Listen, there were books there. And your name was in one or the other. it either was in the book of life or it wasn't. But we also see a throne here. Now, now understand this: this is not the bema seat of Christ. We we looked at that back in, in 2 Second Corinthians chapter five, right? Jesus sits on that bema seat. He says so. Uh, Paul said this in Second Corinthians chapter five. So we are always confident, and we know that while we're at home in the body, well, we're we're away from the Lord, For we walk by faith, not by fi- by sight. In fact, we are confident, and would prefer to be away from the body to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we are at home, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the behemoth seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what He has done in the body, whether good or bad. This is the time for believers, right? But, but now we see this throne, this great white throne. It is great because of the authority that it carries with it. It is white because of the, the, the purity that it carries with it. And the dead here are those who have died without salvation. That is who will be before this great white throne judgment. And it it's even the fallen angels that we looked at in Jude, it is now their time. As the, the sea, it says, gives them up, they will face this judgment as well. Friends, there are, there are two judgments. The judgment for the saved, the bema of seed of Christ, where you will receive your reward, or the judgment for the lost, the great white throne judgment. And there, you only receive damnation. This is a court, if you can imagine, there's only a judge and there are only the guilty. And that's it. You stand alone before the ultimate judge, God. There's no slick lawyers. There's no loopholes. There's no way out at this point. It is final. Oh, there will be many men, many women who stand at that judgment seat and they cry out, Lord, Lord, hey, didn't I go to church? Hey, didn't I serve in the nursery? Hey, remember that time I gave to that mission field? Hey, God, you remember that time I helped out my neighbor? Hey, God, you remember? Oh, yeah, I remember. But your name is not written in the book of life. It's here when Jesus says there will be that time when many will come and say, Lord, Lord, and I will tell them plainly, away from me, I never knew you. Which judgment? Will you be rewarded for receiving the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ? Or will you receive judgment before the great white throne? See, God continues to share the gospel. That's what I'm doing now. But you have to choose. Will you receive it? I read a story this week. It was a young man, and he was... um, uh, drinking pretty heavy. He was on the, the beach in California because nobody do that in Tennessee, right? Uh, so we'll use California. But he, he was on the beach in California. He's drinking pretty heavy. And he decided, you know, I think I'll go for a swim, kind of wake myself up a little bit. And, and, and he went out in, in, into the ocean there, just not real deep, but, but, but out just enough. And there was another man who was there, an older man who was kind of watching the scene go down. And he noticed he was kind of staggering into the water. He was watching the man for a moment. Then he, he noticed that eventually the man went underwater. He waited, and the man didn't come up. This older man ran out to this young man and, and literally drug him back onto the beach and, and began to give him CPR and literally saved the man's life. A few years later, that same young man, he was in court, and he had been busted on some pretty serious drug charges. And it was his time to go before the judge, and as he, as he stood up, he looked at the judge. And as he looked at him, he, he saw his face and... And it was in that moment he realized, that's the man that saved me. Man, he lit up because he's thinking, hey, I've got an end here, right? And he even told the judge, he said, hey, do you remember me? I was the, the young man that you saved on the beach that day from drowning. And the judge looked at the young man and said, yeah, yeah, I remember you. He said, but young man, in that moment, I was your savior. Today, I'm your judge. God wants to be your Savior. He's given all He can. But if you don't receive the gift of Jesus Christ, then one day He'll be your judge. What will it be for you? What will you choose? Plead guilty and receive the pardon for eternity or continue to just live the way of the world to only stand before that white throne judgment and be cast away for eternity. Remember where we started? I said, that 144,000 doesn't mean anything. What matters is will you be saved?